Hi, everyone, and welcome to Academic Dean, where we connect with passionate college leaders who share their stories and viewpoints of higher education, especially lessons learned along the way. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dave Gurchak. Hi, everyone. Today, I'd like to welcome President Seth Bodner to our show. President Bodner is the president of the University of Montana in Missoula, Montana. Seth, I'm so happy to have you on our show today. Well, thanks, Dave. It's great to be here and great to uh, to chat with you. Yeah, I haven't seen you for a while. Uh, so this was one of the, the podcasts that I was very excited about doing since since I've known you and I've watched you uh, do, I would say, some uh, wonderful things in Missoula since you've shown up in Montana. Yeah, well, thank you. No, we haven't. We have none of us have seen a lot of each other uh, recently. It's been quite a uh, quite a year of, uh, of of uncertainty, of isolation, of quarantine, and uh, and then we're all looking forward to uh, vaccination rates continuing to uh, to increase and hopefully getting on the other side of this. So uh, I'm glad we're able to connect virtually. Hopefully, we'll be able to uh, to see in person again sometime soon. Yeah. Can you talk about the University of Montana and why students select your institution? Oh yeah, of course. I mean, our, uh, I mean, it's it's such a privilege to be here at the University of Montana. You know, we're uh, uh, just a, a, a obviously a flagship research institution here in Montana, and uh, you know, I think first and foremost, you, you'd, you'd say I'd say three things. One is uh, is the quality. Of the education that, that that a student can receive here, you know, world class uh, programs really across disciplines, from our wildlife biology program, which is ranked in number one in all of North America. Uh, so so great programs in the sciences, uh, in uh, in fields of of healthcare, our pharmacy program, um, physical therapy, uh, a newly created public health uh, uh, degree, as as well as in the uh, in the professional schools, like our uh, top-ranked college of business, top-ranked in the uh, in the entire uh, Big Sky region, and uh, in, and our journalism school, top top ten in the country, and then great programs in the in the arts and humanities, from our creative writing program to uh, to just uh, uh, wonderful music and, and theater programs, just a, a breadth of high quality programs. You know, and, and really, uh, you know, to, to be able to have those quality programs at a, at a place with tremendous research opportunities as well. Uh, University of Montana, in fact, is the number six in, uh, among the list of uh, fastest growing research wow. uh, universities in the country. Um, and what's what's cool about that is a student uh, gets to, uh, to, to come to the university and, yes, be in that that high quality undergraduate program, but uh, but also participate in in world class research opportunities, and it's really ultimately comes down to our faculty, um, great faculty members who who are wonderful teachers, but also fantastic researchers, and and, and incorporate um, their uh, their uh, their their research and their teaching and. And uh, and get to know our students on a personal level, which you don't find in a lot of places. You know, people like Doug Emlin or or Libby Metcalf, some of our are just tremendous researchers who are also wonderful teachers. And and you see that. Uh, that second thing is you see that in the outcomes that our students uh, uh, achieve out there, not just uh, in the in the scholarly realm. Although we are one of the top 
universities in the country in terms of Rhodes Scholars and, and Udall Scholars that we get for, in terms of public institutions, 28 Rhodes Scholars from the University oh, of Montana, wow. 23 Udalls. Um, just tremendous outcomes on the uh, uh, for those who are looking to further their education. You know, for example, our students that go to uh, med school get in a, at a rate of about 20% higher than the national average, similar for law school. Um, and then placement in jobs. Our College of Forestry and Conservation, 97% placement rate, similarly for our, our College of Business. And so, you know, you, you've got just tremendous uh, outcomes uh, and then a, a vibrant, a, a vibrant campus that, that really just can't be, uh, can't be matched. I'm, I'm uh, speaking to you here from the base of Mount Sentinel uh, <laughs> and uh, on a beautiful sunny day in Missoula and, and just this, you know, large, all the attributes of a large flagship university, but with a campus feel that, that feels like a, a small college. It's sort of the best of both worlds uh, in a, in a wonderful uh, community where I literally can, walk out my back door and, and hike up a mountain or, I mean, weather's nice enough now, I could literally walk five minutes and uh, be fly fishing in the Clark Fork if I wanted to. And, and still, if I uh, drove eight miles, could be up skiing uh, at Snowball. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and just, you know, that, that combination of, of quality, tremendous outcomes, and just this vibrant campus, I, I think is, is why students love it here. Yeah, Missoula, one of the most uh, exciting parts of uh, I had of being a dean is when the Board of Regents got to go to Missoula every other year for their for their for their meeting, and we got to spend yeah. a couple of days there. Oh, that was just so gorgeous! It's a fun, it's it's a great place to to business at, but it's also a great place to to uh, recreate and everything else. And the town Missoula is just a wonderful town. One of my wife and I's favorite places in the yeah. state to go to. It, it, we're very, we feel very blessed to be here. <laughs> so what's new at UM then for 2021-2022? Oh, well, it's, uh, it, I mean, it's been one heck of a year. Uh, it's been one heck of a year of adapting to, uh, to, to the challenges of COVID. Um, and, uh, but, but at the same time, we've had a lot of new and exciting initiatives. You know, I mentioned our, our new public health uh, undergraduate, uh, undergraduate degree um, number of other other degree programs, new, new degree offering in software engineering, um, a lot of uh, great partnerships across the board. But one of the things that I think has been really exciting this year is, you know, we've really taken a, a, a hard look at how this university can really be a place that uh, that that not only provides that a really intentional approach to education that builds those what I'd call foundational competencies uh, in our students of critical thinking, problem solving, you know, some of the attributes we typically associate those of us in the higher ed world with, with a liberal arts education, a term that's often misunderstood, but, but preparing our students to adapt. Um, but at the same time, really providing them a robust suite of work-based and experiential learning opportunities to help them succeed right out of the gates after graduation. And so, you know, we've, uh, over, the, over the past year, I'm, I'm really excited. We launched a new initiative here at the University of Montana called Elevate You, uh, which is, is, is squarely focused on helping our students, um, you know, regardless of their major, uh, build those, uh, those, those skills, those experiences to help them succeed uh, in, a, in a job right after graduation. Um, 
you know, there's, there's, uh, you know, uh, so much evidence on the, on the importance of, of students doing internships while they're in college. Students um, having the opportunity to, to maybe receive credentials that are recognized by uh, industry and other employers to supplement their, their academic major here at the, at the university. And so Elevate U is, is really about making sure that our students from day one are thinking about, okay, not just the academic program that I'm, that I'm engaged in and pursuing, but also what am I doing uh, in terms of getting interviews set up to, for internships, getting my resume ready, doing uh, all the things I need to do so that when I cross that stage on graduation day, I'm doing so with a degree in hand and a job offer. And, uh, and I'm ready to hit the ground running right out of, uh, right out of school. So I'm, I'm really excited about, uh, about Elevate U as well as the, the new programs, a lot, of, a lot of new online programs as well. So, so really looking to ex expand the, uh, the access of, of education, the outcomes of our students, and as well as you know, some exciting things happening here on campus from, a, from an infrastructure standpoint. You know, we've, uh, we've undertaken uh, uh, a, a, a campus refresh initiative. We went out and restructured the university's debt profile and freed up uh, uh, a bunch of a bunch of capital to invest to uh, to upgrade our student facing infrastructure. Uh, this this fall, we we completely renovated uh, Yuri Lecture Hall, which is the largest lecture hall here on campus, as well as Panza Residence Hall, um, and uh, as well as uh, gave a nice refresh to uh, to the Oval. I'm staring out at the Oval right now, which by the way, happens to have an ice skating rink and fire pits <laughs> on it right now and uh, to, to provide some activities. But, uh, and, and these plans are continuing. In fact, we're, uh, we're gonna be breaking ground on a new dining facility uh, as well as uh, progressing with, uh, with the renovation of additional dorms really to, to provide you know, that, that high quality student experience that's, that's so important. Uh, so really exciting time at the University of Montana. I you got me all excited. I need once once lockdown finally goes away, I got to get to Missoula. We got to get you over here. <laughs> yeah. um, has there been any surprises over the past six months that actually ended up on a positive note for you? Well, you know, I think I think there have been. I think um, I think a lot of our. I mean, I and I've shared with people. There's there's. It's been a long year. I mean, it was just about a year ago today uh, when when really the country started just. I mean, it was a it was a quick run of shutdowns that happened right about this time last year. And um, and in the past years, you know, been the uh, the most challenging uh, year of of my leadership journey for sure. And, and that includes time in Iraq and, and other combat zones. Um, but that, it's certainly been my most challenging time as leader. But it's also been um, probably the most inspiring. Uh, uh, year of, of my uh, leadership and professional life. Um, and it's been inspiring in, the, in, in terms of the way that our communities come together. Um, you know, from the early days of the pandemic, you know, it, 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 the, the constant reframe from folks has been, you know, how can I help? Uh, and that means, you know, building up testing capacity here on campus to help the state using our, uh, our genomics core and our tremendous researchers here on campus to, to conduct uh, PCR testing for the state of Montana. To right now, our, our School of Pharmacy is out there uh, getting vaccines in arms, not just uh, here on campus, but, but all around the, the Missoula community, even to our, uh, you know, our business faculty that have helped um, employers and uh, in, in businesses, small businesses out there access 
critical uh, relief funding, because that's a pretty complex thing. Even our history uh, faculty and students have been very intentional in terms of documenting this uh, pandemic and, and in, in real time. To, so people in future generations, just like we've looked to the, to the, to the pandemic 100 years ago, um, can, can see what it was like. And, and uh, in, our, in our arts uh, team, our, our Montana Repertory Theater, uh, around the state putting on a play called Zombie Thoughts, which, which uh, was really focused on, 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 on spurring important discussions about mental health, which has been a challenge throughout this pandemic. And so, um, you know, I, I think I've been, and I don't know that I'd use the term surprise, but just been so proud of the way this community's come together, you know, to, to, to address this pandemic, as, as well as you know, adapt our entire campus operation, you know, setting aside a whole dorm for quarantine and isolation in the fall, setting up a dozen outdoor classrooms, um, mm -hmm. literally reconfiguring every single space on this campus. Um, and then over the winter, I mentioned, uh, we said, look, we need our students to be able to engage. And, and we set up an ice skating rink uh, on the oval. We set up fire pits with, with Adirondack chairs around there for our, for our students to gather. And, uh, and it's just really been the spirit of, of adaptability and innovation that uh, uh, has been so inspiring this year, despite the challenges that we faced. Wonderful things seems to be happening there, that's for sure. Um, when I look at your bio, I would consider you a non-traditional president since your path to the presidency really didn't follow the typical academic pathway that most presidents follow. Could you yeah. talk a little bit about yourself and how your business and military experience has helped you serve as the 19th president of the University of Montana? Yeah, definitely a, uh, a different background. Uh, I mean, I, I, I did serve on faculty at West Point, uh, <laughs> but, but only for, uh, for a relatively short time, only a couple of years. Um, and so I uh, did not come, you know, steeped in, in decades uh, within academia. And I think that's something that, that you have to, uh, to acknowledge and, and recognize the, the, the amount that you have to learn as a leader transitioning in there. But I, I, and, and that's something I've, I've worked really hard to do to learn as much as I can to consult experts here on campus and elsewhere. Uh, but, uh, but the thing I'd say, I, I went to a, a new president's uh, training course uh, offered by Harvard my, my first summer here and with a number of, of new, new university presidents from different types of institutions, large public flagships, private liberal arts colleges, you know, across the, the range and, and a number of different backgrounds. Um, I'd say the majority were still from a traditional higher ed background. And one of the comments that was so striking to me, uh, and this was from a, a really impressive leader. She had been, you know, up through the faculty ranks to Dean to provost and uh, was headed to president. And one of the, the things she remarked after about six months in the job, she said, man, I tell you what, I've been doing this for 30 years and, and I feel like nothing I've done has prepared me for the role that I'm doing now. Um, and so uh, again, there, there's, a, I think she's probably underselling that, uh, her experience a little bit, but, but the, the job of president's a very, a very dynamic one, right? You obviously have the, the, the core academic enterprise, um, but you also have an entire uh, campus infrastructure. You're especially at a large flagship, you're, you're, you're you know, uh, infrastructure challenges like a mayor has. Uh, you have a, uh, obviously a, an events uh, operation. You have an entire uh, uh, athletics department uh, that, that's 
that you're managing uh, as well. So it's, it's an exciting job, a really, uh, a really uh, diverse job and, and a job that, um, you know, a lot of my experiences in the, in the military and then in the business world, you know, it, it is all, you know, there are some common themes there, right? And the common themes across various types of leadership are, is how do you work with the, your colleagues, whether that's a special forces team, whether that's a global software business, whether that's a university, how do you work collaboratively to align on uh, a shared vision for your organization? And then how do you uh, every single day work to enable the, the people across that organization to, re to, to not only help the organization achieve its potential, um, but to help each of them achieve their full potential? I mean, that's that's really at the at the heart of leadership is is not necessarily always being the smartest person in the room or the person who knows the most or the, per, the that that visionary who is telling everybody exactly what we need to go and do rather i think the most effective leaders are those who work to get the most out of their colleagues and their teammates and help the institution or organization achieve its full potential and that that's a commonality uh, across whether it's uh, again, an army unit, a business organization, or a university. That's interesting. I, um, knowing you, I would also say one of the qualities I always admired about you was your listening ability. I always was shocked when I was in a room and everybody was talking. You seemed to sit back and kind of take in, take in the information before speaking, which is sometimes a hard thing I've noticed for chancellors and presidents to do. So. Well, it's hard for me to do sometimes too, I, but I, I always try to remind myself of that old phrase, you know, God gave me two eyes and two ears, but only one mouth for a reason. Um, some would argue that mouth is bigger sometimes than it should be, but, uh, but I, I do work hard to try to listen, listen and learn. And I think that's an important part of leadership. Yeah. Um, so my next question is a twofer. So this has to do with... Um, what's been the biggest lessons you've learned so far as president and what advice can you give other non-traditional presidents? Hmm. Well, yeah, I think they're, they're kind of similar. Um, and I think, you know, first and foremost, the, the basics, right? Communication and transparency are key. Um, it, it is, as they say, it, it's impossible to over-communicate. Uh, and that's something I'm working on continually, right? How do I, how do I make sure I'm communicating enough with campus, but not overwhelming uh, or communicating, uh, you know, the, the inappropriate, you know, the not love, not the things that should be coming from the president's office, but, but really working transparently and collaborative and collaboratively are, are, are key. I think, um, and to your point, listening. Uh, so communication, when I say that, I always think about it as two way. Um, you know, I, I still work really hard to try to, uh, to, to, and it's been tougher in this past year, but make my way around campus and, and sit and visit with offices. How are things going? You know, what, what's it, what are you seeing and, and what can I be doing? Um, but, but when, when effective communicators, I think work really hard to ensure that, that that communication is, is two way. Uh, and when we often think we say communication, we think transmit, um, but, uh, but, but I think leaders have to work really hard to make sure the, uh, the, the speaker uh, is working as well as the microphone. I think leaders sometimes focus on the microphone to the detriment of, of the speaker. Uh, and so, 
that's uh that's something that I that you know I think traditional or not every president has to learn. I think the other uh, another another key lesson I think I've probably got uh, maybe 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 two more uh, well three more is uh, you know academia perhaps counterintuitively is perhaps uh, more more hierarchical than than you'd expect. Um, you know we like to say we have this culture of shared governance and. And yeah, that president has to be that collaborative leader. Um, but I think that's true of any of any organization. I'll tell you what, if I walked into a team of, of Green Berets as a young 28-year-old captain and and my, my team sergeant, who's, you know, 12 years older than I am with 15 years more experience in the Green Berets, I'm technically the boss. But if you think I'm walking into that room and saying, here's exactly what we're doing, and, and they're all just saying, yes, sir, that, that's not how it works. Um, you got to work collaboratively. Similarly with software engineers uh, and, and very talented people. You don't just walk in and say, hey, this is what we're going to go and do. And everyone's like, yes, sir, of course, we're going. You know, you have to get buy-in. You have to work collaboratively. Um, and, and you have to get people that are willing to share their ideas uh, courageously, people that are willing to engage in dialogue and help get to the best decision. And, and interestingly, I found that uh, that that can be a little more challenging in higher ed than I thought. Um, you know, I think people are really quick. One of the reasons I try not to speak all the time in meetings is, is people quickly defer to the president. And, uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean they agree. Um, and so when you're having a dialogue around a table, um, you have to be very careful not to uh, prejudice the jury because as soon as you say what your thoughts are, the, the discussion's gonna go that way. And you, you may not get to the, uh, the best idea. And I've joked with my team here. I, I say, I need a t-shirt and I, I, I joke with them. I say, look, imagine that I'm wearing a t-shirt every day. I can't wear it. I'm wearing my Grizz gear today. I can't wear this t-shirt every day, but imagine I have a t-shirt on all the time that says some of my ideas are really bad. <laughs> and I need you to tell me when that's the case. Um, and uh, because, and that sounds silly, but if you don't, very transparently and openly emphasize that and repeatedly, um, you're going to get suboptimal decisions. You're going to get to decisions in which you as the leader think you have consensus, but when you have, you're also going to have people walking out of the room saying, boy, that's a really dumb idea. I can't believe the president says we're going to go and do that. Um, but, but they're, they're unlikely to say that in the, uh, in the meeting. And, uh, and that's something I think you have to really, really, um, work deliberately on. Um, and then the, uh, you know, the third one is I think just, just getting clarity on your priorities, you know, and, and what I say is not just institutional priorities, your strategic plans, like what are you about as an institution? Because you're always going to have debates and there's always gray areas or, or varying opinions, but like, what do you come back to as the lens through which you're going to view every decision? And for us, you know, I've been very clear. It's like we put student success at the center of everything we do. So when you get into a debate, you know, there's lots of different opinions and, and it's helpful to be able to come back and say, okay, what's best for our students? If our students are our top priority, how do we think about this decision, these trade-offs through that lens? And making sure that, that you repeatedly get to clarity of what's most important at this place. And when there's trade-offs to be made, what do we prioritize? And, and for us, that's place student success at the center of everything we do. Um, and so those are, I think, some of the, I guess, lessons, but also tips. Um, I think, you know, there's there, the final one that I'd offer um, is, uh, 
you know, it's that old Harry Truman, I think, had it on his desk, right? The buck stops, the buck stops with me. And I think as a president, um, you have to, you have to be comfortable with that. You have to realize, and, and they teach you this in, in day one at West Point, when you're a platoon leader, um, it's what they're preparing you to be. It says, I am responsible for everything that platoon does or fails to do. And, uh, and getting comfortable with that, um, that, that ultimately you're going to, you can't be afraid to make some of those big decisions. Now, should you make them without good insight? or without good consultation or without feedback? Absolutely not. But ultimately you own it. Uh, the buck stops with you. And I think leaders that, 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 um, that, that don't acknowledge that get themselves into trouble. Um, but I think also leaders that, that, that don't empower their teams to help them get to those right decisions, put themselves uh, at peril. So it's an, it's an important balance, balance to strike. So, do you have a favorite book on leadership that you would recommend to other academic leaders? You know, I think uh, it's a great question and I always struggle with it because there's so much, I think, to be read about leadership. And I think there's, you know, there's obviously the delineation between leadership and management. And I think, you know, and so I think there's a, there's a philosophical level of, of, of leadership and how you think about leadership. There's the, the operational level, like how do you, how do you, how do you day-to-day lead an organization effectively? Um, and then I learned, you know, biographically as well, you know, that, that books that ostensibly may not be about leadership in particular, but you, you, you read about the lives of other leaders mm-hmm. as example. And I think, you know, from a philosophical approach, I, I think, it, you know, higher ed leaders in particular, um, I think it's really important to really immerse yourself in, in the in the concept of servant leadership, the idea that that your team's not there to serve you, right? The all-knowing person, right? Your job as a leader is to help them, and that can sound like, well, I'm diminishing myself as a leader, but but actually, it's really empowering as a leader. And I think particularly higher ed people who've come up through higher ed can struggle with this. Uh, and I think one of the reasons why is. You know, when you start out in a career as a faculty member, you are rewarded for knowing the most about a certain topic. And, and you, you progress by becoming more and more of an expert. Um, when you get into large level, you know, broad scope leadership positions, you can't possibly be an expert on every single issue that's coming to you. Your success there does not depend on your ability to know everything about the issue. Um, that's, that's what your success depends upon in reaching higher and higher faculty ranks is knowing more and more and being deeper and deeper. Um, and so a lot, of, a lot of higher ed leaders make that transition successfully. Some don't, right? Um, because when you switch over to, to broad organizational leadership, it really is about, about doing everything you can to help those on your team reach their full potential. And so, you know, a lot of the books I, I encourage people to read really and really focus on that because a lot of our stereotypical images of leaders are the Teddy Roosevelt's charging up San Juan Hill, um, the, the, you know, the, the, the Margaret Thatcher, right, the, the, the strong leader um, and the, the person who, who, who has all the answers. Um, and those are idealized and, and kind of mythologized versions of those of those historical figures. Um, but but that's typically what we think about. And I think people often end up in leadership roles where they feel that pressure that that I need to know everything and I need to have all the answers. 
And the reality is that's not possible when you're leading a large university. Um, and so you really need to think about how do I empower that team? And so I, I think books like Simon Sinek, Simon Sinek's you know, Leaders Eat Last. I think Liz Wiseman has a, has a great book called Multipliers. That's all about how effective leaders get the most out of their team. You know, how do you become a multiplier, not a diminisher? Um, and I think, you know, there's a whole, I mean, I could list 20 books, but I think, you know, again, books that, that talk about how do I, how do I enable the people around me, the people on this team, everyone in this organization to reach their full potential. That, that's, I think, most helpful from a philosophical level. From an operational level, I'm a big fan of uh, Patrick Lencioni. Uh, you know, he's talked about five dysfunctions of a team. Great book. A book that brings it all together is a book called The Advantage um, that talks about not, not just some of the cultural aspects, but all down to the basics of like, how should you think about meetings? You know, what types of meetings should you be having? And how do you think about focusing your team? Really helpful book and it has influenced my thinking. And then again, biographical books. I'm, I'm always trying to consume uh, biographies. You know, I, a great one, uh, Bob Gates, uh, Secretary of Defense under uh, the Bush administration and the Obama administration wrote a great book about his experience as a leader of, uh, of, of, uh, of the Defense Department of the uh of the university uh, or texas a&m university as well as uh, the cia um you know nelson mandela's uh, long walk to freedom is a great book about how uh, a, a leader carries themselves so um you know i, I think you can learn from a, on a philosophical level i think you can learn on an operational level and certainly you can learn by uh, by reading biographies so that's what i try to that's what i try to read well, when you mentioned Secretary of Defense, I thought you were heading for Jim Mattis and call sign chaos for a second. So, you know, so. I, I actually have not read that one yet, and I can't wait to. It's yeah. been a busy year, so I haven't gotten <laughs> to that one yet, but, uh, but I'm looking forward to reading that one. And look, I think in the military biographies I like, but I also try to diversify the range of, uh, of thinkers that I hear because that, that, was, uh, that was inculcated in me uh, pretty strongly from an early age. So I try to diversify the... Uh, the perspectives that, uh, that I read. Yeah. When you, when I look at your bio, you had, you had two educators as parents. So I yeah. can imagine that, uh, that was, that was a way of promoting diversity in the house to say the least how you look at different topics from a different viewpoint. Yeah. Yep. Very much so. So how do you, very lucky to have the parents I had, uh, my last question asks, um, how do you see higher ed evolving over the next five to 10 years? Yeah. Well, we've been doing a lot of thinking about this. And I think, um, you know, and I think you start from what are some of the broader trends we see in, in society um, and, and, and in the workplace. And I think we're continuing to see, uh, you know, continuing to see dramatic advances in the use of technology, automation, uh, data science, um, advanced, uh, you know, and artificial intelligence. Um, and I think that, you know, we're moving toward a world in which whatever can be done by machines and, uh, and algorithms will be done by machines. And so, you know, as a, as a, as a, a, a higher ed institution, we have to think about a couple implications of that. And I think number one, it's already in a world of increasing automation. Um, and there's been some great books about this. Joseph Aoun from North, Northeastern uh, University wrote a book called, uh, robot proof, you know, the premise of which is say in a world of increasing automation, you know, those who can really build their uniquely human attributes 
uh, are those who are going to succeed. So what can we do that, uh, that you can't write into an algorithm? Well, you can't write creativity, necessarily critical thinking, uh, teamwork, problem solving, communication. So all of the, um, all of the, again, those innately human skills that a place like the University of Montana does well in cultivating, but I think we could even more intentionally cultivate those, those foundational competencies. Um, and I, and so I, I think higher ed, we're going to have to, we're going to have to think about how do we, how do we build those at the same time? Like I said, that we equip our students with, um, you know, the skills they need to succeed right now, you know, being much more intentional of working in partnership with employers to say, okay, you know, you employers, you, you tell us, and in fact, you look at the world economic forum, the top 10 skills that employers want, you know, chief among them are things like critical thinking, problem solving ability to communicate, work in teams. Um, so, so employers are saying that. And so we're working to build those, but they also have a set of, you know, just, just tactical skills that, uh, that they need. And, and the more that we can work with employers to make sure that our students have both. Um, I think institutions and, and, and we in higher ed perhaps have, have um, spent a lot of time uh, uh, debating, you know, what's more important. Uh, a strong kind of broad foundational education, a liberal arts education, or or technical skills, um, you know, coding boot camps, and and I'd say frankly, I think that's a false dichotomy. Um, I I think it's not either a liberal arts foundation or technical skills. I think it's a both and, and I think higher ed institutions um, have to figure out how we how we do both. And, and, and I think we have to do that in partnership with, uh, with employers uh, and, and with governments as well. And so I think, I think you're going to see higher ed institutions doing that. I think you're also going to see, um, you know, institutions needing to do a better job of serving learners across their entire lifetime. And that's uh, another thing we're working hard here. I've, I've, I've said, I think the University of Montana needs to change in, in you know, in three main ways, you know, the first two I just mentioned, I think we need to be more intentional about how we build those foundational competencies. I think we need to do a better job of embedding work-based and experiential learning across an entire student's experience. Um, and then the third piece is I think we need to significantly broaden the range of learners that we serve. Um, and that means, you know, not just online or distance learners, that means people who are mid-career, um, who are needing to reskill or upskill? That means working with employers uh, to uh, to to help them train not just new workers but their existing workforce. the The world is changing quickly. You know, the the half life of technical skills. If you look at uh, at various reports out there, it's like five years. And so you can learn a great technical skill, a new software language, but that that might not be in use five years from now. So how do workers have to stay and, and individuals? have to think of themselves as lifelong learners. And we as educational institutions, I think need to broaden our, our, our aperture to, to really meet those needs as well. So um, again, those are, the, those are the three things that I think we need to adjust here. And that's, that's after spending a lot of time uh, uh, looking at the landscape out there. Yeah, I totally agree. I think uh, universities need to look at every student as a lifelong learner coming to them, leaving, coming back for maybe a micro-credential, leaving again. Mm -hmm. I mean, just back and forth, just a yeah. continuation of, of education across the board of their lifetime. 
Totally well, agree. Well, Seth, thanks so much for talking with me today. I really enjoyed our conversation. I did as well. And I look forward to seeing you back uh, over here in person. You got to let me know when you come over and visit us. I sure will. Well, that wraps up today's episode. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for listening to today's episode and make sure to visit our website at academicdean.com for additional information. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.